Storm full credit card, which is around bounce back of debit and usage of debit, the rise and rise and rise of buy now, pay later. However, household saving ratios are through the roof because of the pandemic. Yeah, and I remember those days longingly, and I, I hope that we can evoke that kind of behavior in the in the continental European consumers as well, because certainly it is a great opportunity, right? The market is really underserved. Sample brands would be eBay, doesn't have a product in market. Emirates was set to relaunch and hasn't. I think Hilton as a product's been off sale for over two years. And Asda Supermarket, again, that's had no product in market for over a year. So I think I'm really interested to see how the market sold for this. Hi, I'm Ian Pringle. This is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty and loyalty programs. In this podcast, we'll explore the future of co-brand credit cards in a market where co-brand credit cards have generated 990 billion in purchase value in 2018, and with brands like American Airlines alone pocketing $3 billion in mileage revenue from financial services, understanding how these partnerships work is critical to the success of many programs. So I'm lucky to be joined to talk about this fascinating subject tonight by uh, Kate Morgan from Brighton in the UK. Hi, Kate. Hi, Ian. And Ollie Dervy from Zurich in Switzerland. Hi, Ollie. Hello, everyone. And Joanne Ward from Canada. Hi, Joanne. Hi, everybody. And it is Ollie, is it? Or, or Oliver? I'm happy to call you Ollie. Oh, my grandma calls me Oliver when she's upset, but everybody else calls me Ollie. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So to get things started tonight, can we each give a brief introduction to ourselves and then a description of one of the projects you've worked on in co-brand credit cards? Um, who wants to kick us off with that? Kate, do you want to, do you want to kick that one off? Yeah, sure thing. So, hi everybody, I'm Kate Morgan. Um, I'm Head of International Partnerships at Oriema Group. I've been with the organisation for two years. Previous to that, I was with IAG uh, Loyalty. Come in various names, it was Air Miles, uh, yeah, then we, the mileage we company. Yeah, we were for a while together, weren't we? So. Exactly, uh, and latterly Avios, uh, where I looked after um, Global Financial Services Partnerships. So um, in terms of Oriema Group, we are a payments consultancy based in the UK and in the US, and we work within the partnership sector looking after brands, issuers and the networks. I think in terms of interesting projects, we supported a global online retailer looking at their proposition development and looking to reinvigorate um, their product set in line with their expansion online with Buy Now, Pay Later. So the two products really had to work in tandem with each other, whilst also serving a competing need commercially um, for the business. Why that was good for the brand was, again, um, getting them to step outside their comfort zone in what they were typically used to, which was quite some uh, basic uh, book simple for the consumer cashback proposition and to maybe stretch their thinking around loyalty and why that was also good for their incumbent issuer again was about um, proving to the issuer that the brand partner was uh, committed to loyalty and committed to um, expanding the reach of their program into the market okay great and um, Ollie do you want to go next 
Sure. So my name is Ollie Dervey, and I've uh, spent the past 15 years in the loyalty industry in various various forms. Right now, I am the head of loyalty programs for Bonus Card, which is a Swiss credit card issuer issuing both uh, proprietary uh, cards as well as co-bank credit cards. Before that, I spent 10 years in Canada working for AMIA, which uh, at the time uh, ran both the Nectar program in the UK as well as the uh, Air Canada Aeroplan program. Uh, and there I had various roles, some working for those two programs, but also um, working with Joanne at the time in uh, consulting typically to uh, hotels and airlines around the world who were looking to grow or improve their, their loyalty programs, um, including notably relationships with their, with their co-brand credit card issuers. So for me, I had first seen the program side working with banks as issuers and now I've sort of switched sides and then I'm on the issuer side looking at how we partner with with existing loyalty programs but also the proprietary programs that we have and, and what makes sense for for what particular situation and particular segment. Perfect well thanks thanks for that, and um, Joanne? Sure um, yeah I'm a new world partner based in Canada and uh, as Oli mentioned, um, he and I worked together uh, at AMIA, um, involved in Aeroplan and, and other um, consulting projects with, with different clients uh, from airlines to hotels. I guess more recently, I, one project that I was involved in was working with a, um, an online travel agency in Latin America that was um, looking to launch a new program and certainly co-brand having a co-brand credit card was one of the key features of the program. And I guess if you look at it really from the bank's perspective, it's a great opportunity for the bank to tap into a large customer base. In this case, it was an online travel agency to attract new card holders by giving them a way to, um, you know, earn points uh, for other purchases besides their, their travel uh, with, with that uh, online travel agency. And from the OTA perspective, um, you know, it strengthen, strengthens the um, program's value proposition because it lets the members, um, you know, find other ways to earn, uh, uh, you know, besides only when they travel. So they can earn points for pretty well everything they, they buy on that credit card. So it's kind of a win-win, I, I think, for both. And certainly, obviously, there's a revenue uh, opportunity as well for the online travel agency by selling those points to the bank partner. Yeah, and, and we've all worked in different markets in the world. And um, Ollie, for you particularly, being in, in the middle of Europe, you know, some markets like, I mean, we all know this works very well in the US, but some markets like Austria, for example, you know, I can get in a cab and they don't even accept a credit card in a cab. So, you know, does it, it obviously works better in some markets than others. What's your experience of that? So... I I did spend a lot of time in North America and certainly was very used to the credit card landscape there. Coming back to Switzerland and, and Europe, I noticed that in the last 10 years, there has really been a, a significant change for the better in that uh, cashless payment has been much more widely accepted. And uh, it's unfortunate, but the recent pandemic actually made it yet more popular because even more people and even more, even small merchants started accepting cashless payment or even went cashless altogether. So I think on that front, that has improved a lot. However, that doesn't necessarily translate into credit card transactions. 
in in Europe, certainly in Switzerland and in the neighboring countries, debit remains the most popular cashless payment form. And so the same terminals are able to to consume both kinds of cards, but it's typically debit that still is top of mind when people think cashless here. That's really interesting, Ollie, because in the UK, and I'm sure the markets as well, we've seen debit bounce back much harder than credit. And the delta between the two um, is larger than perhaps could be accounted for in the drop in T&E spend that you'd expect through a pandemic. So I think one of the challenges um, the market here has got in the credit space is uh, regaining control over that payment space and the resurgence of credit card. And I think the market's watching with real interest as to how credit will bounce back. Um, I think that's from UK finance are due out pretty sharpish in terms of Q1. So again, it'd um, be really interesting to see how that's panning out. Um, I think maybe because of the recent lockdown in the UK, we're probably going to be seeing debit holding strong again. And I think that's a real concern for issues in the UK market at the moment. Yeah, it's a similar picture for us. We noticed that typically domestically for everyday spend, the Swiss consumers would prefer debit and they heavily relied on credit card for online and especially for for spend abroad. Now, spend abroad has obviously gone down to almost nothing in the past 12 months. Online transactions, on the other hand, are way up. So we we see a dramatic shift in where the transactions are from, but there's still, at least in this market, a bit of a reluctance to accept uh, use credit cards on just your random supermarket checkout. Hmm, that, that's interesting because if you compare that to North America, I mean, if I if you look at many of the co-brand cardholders, you know, in an airline program like our Canada or American, there are, there is, there's a huge segment that really they're using those cards really for all their domestic, their, their kind of everyday spend to rack up the points so that they can take their vacations, um, for free or, or using their points. So they're not necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily travel that much themselves, but they take those, those cards because they just want to be able, you know, they, they spend a lot on credit cards and it's one way for them to be able to to get great value for, um, for their leisure travel. Yeah, mm. and I remember those days longingly and I, I <laughs> hope that we can evoke that kind of behavior in the, in the continental European consumers as well because certainly it is a great opportunity, right? You, you spend what you would spend anyways, but you get a reward for that spend which you wouldn't get on, on debit. Now, one thing, unfortunately, that I also had to realize, though, and, and Kate, you would certainly know this as well, interchange revenues and with that, the generosity of programs are not the same in Europe as they are in, in uh, North America, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We have a practice out of the US as well. So we, again, have a really good lens on, on both sides of the pond as to what the commercial deals on the table can look like. And um, I think partners brands and issuers and also the networks have to work harder in the UK and Europe generally to create meaningful deals um, that work and again and I think maybe this is coming on to one of the broader conversations we might have but I think in the UK the market at, at the moment the market is really underserved um, because of those interchange pressures so example brands would be eBay doesn't have a product in market Emirates was set to relaunch and hasn't I think Hilton as a product has been off sale for over two years. Existing cardholders have still got a product, but it hasn't been on sale. 
And Asda Supermarket, again, that's had no product in market for over a year. So I think I'm really interested to see how the market sold for this because I do really believe there's appetite and need from brands for that co-brand product. But I think it's interesting as to how that's going to be sold. I think one interesting thing I'd be interested in your views on this, Ollie, sitting within continental Europe, is the deal between Accor, Visa and BNP Paribas, which I know was announced during 2020, which is a pan-European deal um, linked to the uh, Accor Live Limitless Loyalty Programme, um, yet to be launched. But again, it's really interesting to know how they're going to solve for the interchange pressures um, across Europe um, and yet create a really meaningful product. Yes, I've seen that announcement and I'm, I'm just as curious, Kate, to see how that will pan out because that talks to yet another particularity about Europe, which is that it's quite fragmented, right? For, exactly. for the size of the market, you you have all these different cards. I, I have a closer view maybe on the Lufthansa Miles and More program um, and they also, they need a separate credit card issuer in each market that they operate in. So their home markets of Germany, Austria and Switzerland, Switzerland even has its separate currency, but then they also have these co-brand deals and it just makes it so much more complicated and so much more fragmented than you know, what an American or a United or a Marriott can do in the US and, and they launch one card and they, they throw it into this massive, massive market. And it's it's certainly something that, that we look at jealously here. And so yeah, much exactly. less valuable. If you take if you take lockdown in general and COVID in general, is you see the amount of money that the North American banks are putting towards the airlines. And yet in, the US, in, in Europe, we've not seen the same. Of course, you know, BA have had 750 million off Amex, but you know that's that's nowhere near the type of stakes that the American airlines are being bunged by the card issuers to to help them stay afloat because of the and it's because of interchange really isn't it I mean is there any other reason that's that's, that's that being driven by scale say, go ahead yeah, yeah scale too so apologies Ollie. yeah I would say scale as well um, I mean I think we know the BA co brands a large program but probably pales into significance when it comes to the AA or the United Airlines programme. So I think, again, that supports the investments made. You know, we've seen Amex come to the fore, haven't we, in pre-purchasing membership reward points and um, into programmes, etc. So, yeah, I think there's two things there. I think it's maybe the economics, but also just the scale of the programmes involved. And maybe to add to that, just consumer payment preference. Now, as I mentioned, I think the pandemic now has probably changed a lot of that. But I remember back in the time when Joanne and I were working with Aeroplan, at the same time, I was looking at uh, a European airline as part of a consulting assignment. And sort of the penetration of their customer base with their co-brand credit cards, and then the average spend each of those cardholders did in Europe was just so much lower than it was in even in Canada, and that's we're not even talking the U.S. here, right? And that comes back to Joanne, what you said, right? What do people routinely use a credit card for in their everyday lives? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing that I've that that is interesting here and in the U.S. is certainly because of COVID, um, the cashback credit cards, which typically aren't normally they're not co-brand cards, you know, with an airline or a hotel. Many of them are just, you know, the bank's own branded um, rewards card um, that's giving you cash back. I mean, there are some that are co-brand, but I'd say many of the bigger ones aren't. Um, and certainly some of the research I've seen is, is the popularity of those cash back cards has really gone up. 
uh, in the last year. I think w- one research I saw was saying that, you know, over 70% of Americans prefer cashback cards, uh, especially if they're in a lower income group or um, younger, uh, you know, in a young, in the younger age groups. And in Canada, where, you know, travel rewards cards have always been the preference, the gap has, has narrowed uh, quite a bit. And I guess it's, you know, if you look at some of those cards, they are fairly uh, generous. Some of them are, you know, up to 5% cash back. You know, uh, many of them are, are very flexible now too. You don't have to, you know, some in the, in the past, you had to wait a year before you could kind of get your cash or every month. Many now are very, um, you know, fluid. You can just, you can basically get your cash back whenever you want or at a very low minimum spend. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, the increase in popularity, popularity of those cards continues once things get, you know, a, back to normal or whether the travel reward cards are going to um to uh increase you know and gain back some of of of, of that uh, share well the, the the big brands have certainly banked on or betted on the bounce back of the co- of the frequent flyer programs oh, yeah. because they've they've put a lot of money into it yeah for and- sure because if you look as well i mean many of them you know have really beefed up the benefits that you get when you take one of those cards, there's a lot more flying benefits in some cases that you get just by having the card. There's huge bonuses in market right now to, to take a new card. So yeah, certainly they are banking on it. And they've quite a few now too that look at the spend on your card as qualification towards your airline elite status. So that has changed quite a bit uh, then, you know, previously it was only just about what you flew, but now more and more you're starting to see the credit card spend is being one of the considerations in what status you're going to get with the airline. So, in Kate, have you seen a similar trend in the in Europe compared to what Joanne was saying about in Canada, where um, there's a growth of the cashback or non-frequent flyer programs in co-brands? Because it's been, as far as I can see, it's been fairly quiet in that space, hasn't it? Yeah, again, I think because there's, to Ollie's point, the pressure on interchange, the co-brand space, is fairly quiet. I think cashback will always have a space because, again, as I was talking about the project we worked on from a consumer proposition piece, it's really easy to understand. I understand the value of my rewards. And we all know the the dark arts of loyalty, which is the opacity of the currency, which means that the value to the customer is more than the actual real value, etc., etc., and the wheels are spinning. And, uh, you know, and somewhere in the background, somebody's making lots of money. So, again, I think that cashback proposition is really popular on consumers. I think in terms of uh, Europe and the UK, again, I think it's about being underserved. I think there are brands out there that, uh, you know, could be launching co-brands. I think what's really interesting to me in, through the pandemic is there's a perfect storm, perhaps, for credit card, which is around, you know, the, right, uh, the, the bounce back of debit and usage of debit. The rise and rise and rise of buy now, pay later. Um, I think there's projected to be 10% of e-commerce sales by 2024 to be through a buy now, pay later. I think the simplicity of the paying three mechanic, the likes of Klarna and Clearpay, are really putting pressure on credit card generally. However, household saving ratios are through the roof because of the pandemic and those lucky and fortunate to be in a uh, financial position to save have been doing so so there's money out there and from my perspective sitting 
from a consultancy view, it's our co-brand's the answer, which is the reason to believe in spending on a credit card versus a debit card versus buy now, pay later. And I think uh, smart issuers will be looking to adopting co-brands or working closer with brands to create product, which pr provides that reason to believe in a credit card product over and above a vanilla proprietary product. So I do believe there's real opportunity. And I think it's not just opportunity, I think there's real need, um, again, to make uh, card issuing businesses profitable. Um, there's real pressure on outstanding balances. They're at an all-time record low um, as payments outstrip borrowing. Interesting bear interest bearing balances are also depressed. So again, for credit card business as a whole in the UK, uh, there's pressures and I think there is opportunity for Cobran to solve because it. it's interesting because Klarna are definitely pr pr promoting themselves as a loyalty solution you know they're not they're not saying they're a, they're just purely a financial services play they're saying it's about customer retention and added value and I mean do you do either of you see or, or anyone see this this gap as you said Kate being solved by some other sort of fintech proposition that isn't necessarily credit card I think we all know that the payment space moves really rapidly and I think if credit card issuers don't move into this space with solutions that the customer wants to use then to your point uh, Ian something else will um, mm. and that's already been uh, the likes of Klarna have stolen a march there and we know within the UK market and uh, regulation is coming in for the likes of Klarna and buy now pay later in 2022 but again the forecasts are that that won't actually depress the use of the product as consumer awareness grows and grows e-commerce grows and grows because of the pandemic so again i think um uh, i think it's a really interesting time in the credit card space specifically and payments more generally i guess the question is could we as credit card issuers could could they preempt the consumers uh, adopting something like a clana right and so something we're experimenting with is when we see certain transactions that meet certain criteria in terms of you know the transaction amount and the location and that kind of thing we we instantaneously send out messages text messages to consumers and offer them a specific payment plan or an installment payment plan for that particular transaction. So not following the regular credit card payment routine with Revolve and all of this, but saying, would you for this particular transaction like to do a separate installment payment over so and so many installments, so and so many months. And part of that is probably to, to try to get in there before consumers who are interested in, in deferred payment go and switch to a buy now, pay later third party service. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, here, one interesting thing, you know, there's, there's a few new players. Um, one, one is called Neo, which is a, uh, it's um, kind of, I guess you'd call it, it's like an app based uh, credit card loyalty program. It, it includes even sort of a, a banking component to it, but it's all digital. Um, it's actually the guy who, one of the founders of Skip the Dishes, uh, which is like a, you know, a, a restaurant ordering kind of um, solution has started. And um, it it's basically only app-based. It's a cashback loyalty uh, program. And um, it kind of combines like card-linked offers with, with cashback rewards. So, you know, you can, it, it will send you, they have partners, different retail, restaurant, and so on, that will push offers out through the app, um, you know, and the, and they can be very, um, 
generous, I guess, you know, if you're a first time customer versus sort of ongoing cash back that might be around, you know, let's say up to 4%. And they also have a banking product as well. So it's just really sort of starting to roll out across Canada. But it'll be interesting to see how um, popular that becomes because it isn't sort of your traditional, you know, plastic credit card product. It's it's really all based on your on your phone and, um, you know, doing things through your paying through your app. I think that's an interesting space. Um, I think in the UK, the bank account and debit card uh, app features have been evolving rapidly over the last um, two to three years and a increase significantly through the pandemic in terms of alerts, um, advising you about your balance, payments, again, and all those touch points that uh, customers really benefit from. The same isn't true for credit card um, and the same technology hasn't evolved. So again, I think there's also uh, a pressure on credit card and that debit space and consumer desire and expectations of the service that they provide. Again, I think it's all elements that can be readily solved for I don't believe to date there's been the same investment in that UX for consumers um, in credit cards as there has in um, uh, debit. Fantastic. No, um, so what I'd like to do just to sum up is, is is if we can quickly go around each of us, um, if we could give sort of three predictions for the future. I mean, obviously, we'll knock off any ones that are duplicated, but um, who wants to go first on three, on summing up with three predictions for the future? Joanne, how about you? Oh, boy. You had to pick me first, eh? I don't have to. I can edit this out. I, I can pick on Ollie again now. That's I, I'm playing. I've already shared all my good ideas, and I've run out of dry. I would definitely say more app-based kind of credit card offerings that that do personalize the kind of reward offers um, that they put in front of you. Um, it, you know, giving more flexibility on the kind of things they can um, can offer to to individuals because they'll know more about you know they. They have a better vehicle to, to do that. Um, I think on the airline side of things, certainly in North America, I mean, the co-brands are going to continue to be an integral um, part of the airline loyalty programs. And I think we'll see more, um, you know, there's already been an increase in the, in, the, in the soft benefits for the cards, but I just think that is not, it, it's not going to diminish, that's for sure. The importance on, on that side is going to remain. And, and I can't Ollie. think of a third. <laughs> oh, well, we've said a lot already. So, and Ollie, would you like to add some to those? Uh, sure. So for me, I think the first one would be the usage of cash will only continue to go down. That, I think, is seen quite clearly now. And the second is, in terms of alternatives to cash, um, digital payments will probably see a proliferation with different specific niches much like in groceries you have the everyday low prices and uh, you know high touch luxury and then something in between we'll probably see the same same with methods of payment you'll have very cheap no frills you'll have rewards for all your purchases and then you have the amex platinum the status is the message that you send and similarly on the consumer side i think some consumers will stick to just one kind of cashless payment, like they stick to one kind of supermarket. And then you'll have others who'll say, depending on the opportunity, I will I will shop around. And I think that there's an entirely new landscape recognizing different segments, different products, all within digital payments. Perfect. And, um, and Kate? Um, so I think the first thing for me is a wish and a future prediction, which is 
the neobanks uh, evolving and maturing and perhaps stepping into the co-brand space, whether that's Monzo, Starling, Revolut. The dream of the co-brand is distribution and touching a customer base that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to acquire. So again, I think as the neobanks evolve and mature, that could be a space that they step into. And again, for a pressured market, that would be great news uh, in the credit card space. I think a second piece for me is around, um, and this touches on what Joanna's talked about in terms of redemptions and, uh, and partnerships, but I think it's the continuation of that low value redemption point for airlines and hotel, where, uh, so for example, uh, the partnership between Avios and Nectar bringing to life and creating more relevance uh, and the ability to redeem at a lower level, especially as planes aren't flying at the moment. But I think that's only going to grow and grow. And as consumer demand necessitates that piece around relevance for redemption product. And, and we don't see, no, no one's mentioned anything about the over the top guys um, just sort of smashing the market, you know. So we don't see, say, Apple Pay or Samsung starting to creep out of where they are today and getting absolutely owning the payment space. You don't see that or, or coming into this space at all. I would say I see it as a threat, but not necessarily for them owning the market, but for them making the payment even more opaque and therefore the customer may be less less particular about what he uses as the underlying method of payment. If all you do is you tap your watch against a card reader, it's no longer the same as you consciously pick a branded card from your wallet and you use that to make that payment. It's It used to be top of wallet, it would just be top of app. Right, and I think yeah. that's that's a big threat. Whatever card goes into that digital payment wallet is going to be in there, and the consumer is no longer going to care. It's just the quick, easy way to make a transaction. And so I think that's why the, that communication piece from the brands uh, it grows ever more important um, to make sure that regardless of where that product is being used, whether it's as part of Apple Pay or whether it's contactless payment, that their product is top of wallet or top of app. Um, and I think the pressure is on the brands to ensure that communication is continuous and meaningful and relevant. Back to that point, I've used the word relevant about 400 times, but around those redemption products uh, and, and the value that the, the schemes bring. Well, perfect. That's just what we've got time for tonight. So thank you to my guests tonight. So thank you very much, Kate Morgan. Pleasure. And thank you, Ollie Dervy. Thank you for having me. And thanks to Joanne Ward. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun. Thanks then. So if you thank you for listening as well. So if you like this podcast tonight, please like, share and comment on LinkedIn using the hashtag loyalty podcast. And thank you again. And we look forward to seeing you all soon. So thank you and goodbye.